0: for the uh, adults going off to their class. Just very, very briefly, a picture of what's going to happen outside. This is called... Anyone know what this is called? It's not a lemon. It's not a grapefruit. And it's not an orange. It is a strange thing called etrog. The etrog, And during this holiday, Jewish people take the etrog in their left hand. And they take the lulav which combines uh, three or so or four different types of branches for this Jewish holiday. And they take this and they hold them together, the rabbis and leaders, and they shake them. Actually, they'll go like this. They'll shake it three times. I wrote it down so I don't forget. To the right side. One, two, three. They'll do it three times behind them. One, two, three. They do this every day, actually. They shake it on their left side. One, two, three times. Then they go up top. One, two, three. And then they go down below three times. And they say a traditional prayer. Every morning in the sukkah. Now, Jewish people all over the world built little tents, little booths outside their houses. And they shake it. uh, They they go in there every morning with the palm branches together with the two willows and the the myrtle branches. And they say this following blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us, set us apart by God's commandments, and has commanded us to take up the waving of the lulav. Then on the first day, there's always a traditional prayer on the first day of all holidays. And the first day they say it's called the shechechionu, and if you don't, don't say that looking at anybody, but that's Baruch Ata Adonai, Lazman Hazet. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and has enabled us to reach this holiday season. Then they traditionally say the blessing over the fruit of the vine. It's called the Kiddush cup. Then they do the challah, the bread, which we'll do outside in the sukkah after service. And then after the Kiddush and the Chamotzi, the bread and the wine is said, they say this traditional prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God king of the universe who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to dwell, to live in the tabernacle, in the sukkah. The etrog, this citrus fruit is supposed to stand for yeah, a citrus fruit, supposed to stand for the fruit of the land. These branches, the lulav. first there's palm branches date palms, they stand for the plains of Israel. When you go to Israel with our tour you'll see the plains of Israel. Beautiful beautiful plains as we drive through them. Then there's the myrtle branches. They stand for the mountains of Israel. So was, when we go to Israel, we will drive through the plains. We'll explain everything that's going on. You'll see the mountains of Israel. It's incredible because in Israel, you see the mountains, you see the plains, you see the valleys, you see the Mediterranean Sea, you see the Dead Sea, you see the Sea of Galilee, you see the Jordan River. It's incredible to see, you see the great Jordan Valley the valley of Megiddo. And finally, there's the willow, which is supposed to stand for the water that came from the rock. And it's all symbolic as they shake that and say their traditional blessings. So now that I've explained that, adults who have children that are teachers, you can be dismissed. Or did they already go? Okay. Uh, teachers and children, you're dismissed now. I wanted them all to hear that. And if you have your outlines, can you open them up, your bulletins? I want you to take out those outlines. And I want us to learn a little bit as we do here. As we do here at Shuvah, a lot of times in other congregations, certainly in churches, they don't talk about the Jewish holidays. A lot of times in Messianic congregations, the rabbis will give you a message, which is good as I try to give you each week which I will today. But they don't always explain the holidays. And I know because we always have visitors and guests. People leave here and I could give a regular message. I say, well, what was that holiday all about? I'd like to know about the holiday of Segal. What does it mean? The reason I say this is because, listen, there's only two people that don't understand Jewish holidays. All the Jewish holidays. Now, you know, there's a bunch of them. There is, of course, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchat Torah, Hanukkah, Purim, Passover, First Fruits, uh, Shavuot. There's a lot of different Jewish holidays. But there's only two people who don't know about the holidays. That, those two people are this, the Gentiles. They don't know about these Jewish holidays. And the other group that doesn't know about these holidays are the Jewish people. No, they don't know. They've heard of them. They say, Happy New Year. As Rob gets up here, they goes, Hag Sameach. It's very Jewish. That's nice. Happy holiday. Very nice. Good yontif. Good holiday again. These are Jewish phrases. Uh, You want to sound Jewish, so I walk up to someone and say, Hag Sameach. Don't worry. They won't say what it means. They don't know. They don't ask you. It's a holiday season. That's what you're supposed to say. So our Jewish people don't really know about the holidays. This one's a special one. We're going to learn about it. I want to just tell you very briefly first. It's a very special holiday for especially believers. Those who have accepted Messiah. Because it teaches us about the Messiah. Of all holidays, the, well, each one points to Messiah, but this is a really special holiday that focuses on Messiah, which you're going to find out in a minute. This holiday focuses on Messiah. The prophet Zechariah, he points, he points to this day when the Messiah will dwell, and the word dwell, listen carefully, you can write this down somewhere, dwell, tabernacle, abide with, all the same, sukkah. It means to dwell with, to live with, abide with. That's what the holiday really means. When you say Sukkot, it's a booth. Sukkot means booth. It symbolizes God dwelling, living in his house, in his booth. So this holiday, uh, which we call uh, Sukkot, it symbolizes when the Messiah will be here on the earth On the earth. And all the people of the earth will know Messiah. This holiday is a picture of the future kingdom when Yeshua returns. This is the fulfillment of that. And that's what Zechariah says. Even in the future kingdom, the feast of Sukkot, this holiday, will be celebrated. Be important to worship God on this holiday. In the old ancient days, in biblical days, on the last day of Sukkot. The last day, the very last. It's eight days. Seven days, eighth day. On the final day, it's called Hoshana Rabbah. That's the great, great day, the final day of this eight day holiday. There will be two special ceremonies. It used to be 2,000 years ago, two special ceremonies. The first ceremony involved mar- marching all around the temple with giant torches. There was a whole processional. This was one of the holidays where Jewish people from all over the land came to Israel. They took giant, giant torches, marched around the temple walls, and then they planted them very strong. So the whole all of Israel, all everyone who came saw the torches, saw the burning light. And that was supposed to symbolize that the Messiah is coming and he will be a light to the nations of the world. He himself said, Yeshua came, the book of John says, I am the light of the world. Those who believe in me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It says Yeshua did on this final day. He looks at everyone and says, I am the torch. I am the light, it all points to me, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. There was another ceremony that took place during this holiday. Up at the temple, those of you who haven't been there, those who have been there, you'll be with me. Up at the temple, about a half a mile away, we walk underground, it's a really cool walk, from the Pool of Siloam, where Yeshua healed uh, the lame man and the the blind man, Pool of Siloam. And we're going to go to the Pool of Siloam, a half mile away. And now, just last year, they built a tunnel underneath. And we walk all the way up to the temple. It's really, really cool. On the actual streets of the old days. Actually, the sewers, but it, it's cleaner now. Anyway, so we walk all the way up to the temple. Now, in the ancient days, they used to go all the way down to Pools and get the water. Big, big water ceremony. Pour it into the temple. And it was a final day. And really, with the beautiful picture, that the idea is that The whole world will know God. The whole world will know Messiah as the waters cover the earth. Beautiful picture. And everyone knew and the water came up. The whole world will know God someday. Just like the waters cover the earth. Then in the midst of that, a man stands and he says, all you who are thirsty, come to me and drink. I will quench your thirst. I am the water of life. How could one man do it Actually, the quote is this. He says, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. From his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Beautiful picture. Messiah is the light of the world. Messiah is not only the bread of life, but the water come to us. The holiday of Sukkot. Now, when I grew up, I grew up in the synagogue, as Steve said, and a couple of us grew up in the synagogue. But when I grew up in the synagogue, we'd be there and I'd have to go there three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We were always in the, in the synagogue after school uh, for a couple hours, I'm sorry, not Monday, Wednesday, but Monday, Wednesday, and Sunday morning. We went Sunday morning for, for two hours. But I did notice, and you know, in your little boy's little child's mind, and they're telling you things, and you know, I was, I was one of those, they didn't label you back then, but I probably had ADHD or whatever it was. But anyway, but, so I, I didn't know too much of what was going on. I learned some of my Hebrew language, I learned the Jewish holidays, and forgot it the next day. But, but I did notice every year at one point, as I'm going to school, walking to school, as I'm going to synagogue, and I, all of a sudden I look, I go, there that is again. Little boys noticed that. I saw a little house on, next to somebody's house. I saw these little booths, little tents. I didn't say, that's a sukkah for the Jewish holidays. So I didn't know. I just said, oh, it's that time of year again. When did that happen? And every year when I went back to school, I saw those little houses again, not having a clue what they were, the little booths. The little tents celebrating the holidays. In synagogue we had one and all the houses had it. You had to have the open roof so you could see the skies as we were singing about it. Some people ate their meals in there throughout the the week. At least one meal. Maybe every day they had a meal. Celebrating the idea. Two things. The holiday symbolizes two things everyone. You could write this. I said, you know, Sukkah means booth. The holiday is symbolic of dwelling. Abiding with God living with his people. Especially in the future kingdom. When you think of this holiday, you think of two things God living with his people. God always wants to live with his children. We see that in the Bible. And second, not only does he live with you, when my kids lived with me and grew up with me, all their needs I took care of. Whatever those needs. You see those poor little helpless children. You do everything at every age until they say, I do. And then you go, Your problem, Ben. Anyway, that's. but that's what it really means. God lives with you. God takes care of you. He always does. The holiday of Sukkot is the story of a father's love for his children. The story story of Sukkot is a father caring for, bringing safety, comfort, protection for their child. That's what I always had i had i don't mean to make people feel bad but i love talking about the bible the rapture things and my dad because i had a great relationship with my dad he was my pal and i did everything with him sports he was a sports guy so i did sports i did everything with my dad but you know there's something i and i always like to share this that with my dad that i always did is that whenever i did something he was always near he was always there and I remember once we went to the swim club in the summer. We were part of a swim club. And there was a high dive. And the high dive was about 10, 12 feet in the air. And so you'd see people walk up there, you know, and, and jump off. They were scared. It was pretty high. And my dad used to say to me, you go up there and I don't want you to just do a dive. I want you to do a flip. Really dangerous. And you know, Sam, you know what this, the whole pool stopped to see you. Four, five, six-year-old kid walk up those steps and now I die but two flips why did I do it let me tell you why because this before I went this is what I would do I saw him he was standing there I could do anything with him there and I did it and he was so proud see what a father's love there's comfort that's what this holiday is all about everything My favorite story about my dad, just to summarize what he's like, it was late at night, and I was a young boy, about 10, and Rocky Marciano was fighting for the championship of the world at that time, and I wanted to hear it on radio. We didn't, you know, television, forget it. Three channels, that was it, and you never, anyway, so, and he was fighting on the radio, and I wanted to hear it. Mom, can I stay up? No, too late, go to bed. So I had to go to bed. So I went to bed, I couldn't listen to it on radio. And so then all of a sudden, I remember, to me it was like the middle of the night and I felt something, someone shaking me. And I looked up and there was my dad going like this, shh, with a radio under his arm. (laughs) We plugged it in and I listened. Don't know who he fought, don't know the results of the fight, but my dad was there with me. That's this holiday. Holiday, when you think of it, is a father's love and caring, watching over for his children. I could do anything, as long as my dad was nearby. Fill it in in your outlines here. What Sukkot tells us. Sukkot tells us God desires to do two things. Live with you. Dwell with you. And provide and care for his people. That's what he's doing. You leave here. Some say, What's code all about? Well, there's a water ceremony. There's a light ceremony. But it's really God lives with you. God cares for you. God dwells with you. God provides for you. And that's the comforting words that we should have here. So let's see if we can't deal with these two areas. Uh, First area is God desires to dwell with his people. Now I say this because for most people in the world, God is absentee. Most people don't feel close with God. God has always, always desired to live with his people. Throughout all of history, God does live with his people. You say, "Where? where? Listen, God's always lived with his people. That's what his desire is. Now, 200 years ago, 100, 200 years ago, there was a group of theologians. I didn't didn't say great. I just said theologians that talked about God. And they developed this uh, false theology. The theology was what we called deism, the deists. And the deists believed a certain thing about God. For they said that God created the world, wound it up, got it going, and sit back and watches it. That was deism. That was a the theology. Now, throughout the years in these last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, I've seen movies they come out with all my ancient superheroes that I used to read about. You know, and it, and it's, you see them making the movies. There's Batman and then Superman and then there's Spidey and then there's Iron Man and then there's Hulk. You wouldn't know any of these unless they didn't make movies. I do because these are my heroes. And I read all about them. They even made a movie about Thor, God of Thunder. And they make all the superheroes. The Avengers, Fantastic Four, Captain America. Boy, you really know your comic books. You bet. I knew my comic books. Speedy, Daredevil, I, I knew them all. But then they haven't made the movie about the most greatest of all the superheroes when I read about it. Nobody knows about it. No one ever hears about them. But in the comic books, there was a strange being that when all these people were fighting on the earth and the atmospheres and going into the spaces and everything, they'd all be fighting the evil people and all, all of a sudden they'd go so far out in the uh, outer spheres, all of a sudden they'd stop. And In the comic books, there was a big white light. And all enemies, good, bad, evil, everyone stopped, went back to earth, and everything resumed normal. That presence they went into in the, in the comic books was called the Watcher. They all stopped in the presence of the Watcher. And we grew up there. The Watcher's God. Except one thing. The Watcher never did anything. He couldn't do anything. We never knew what he was going to do. And that's what the deists say. God watched and couldn't do a thing. That's not our God. God does not just watch. He's involved with everything in your life. He lives with you. He takes care of you. We see that in the Bible. Fill it in. The first place we see, I could pick a couple of them, but the first place you see, God dwelt in Solomon's temple. Let's go back a couple thousand years ago. Jewish people came out of Egypt. Came out of Moses, brought them out of Egypt somewhere around 1400, 1440 BCE. Moses brings them out, brings them through the Red Sea, brings them to Mount Sinai. God gives them the law. They dwell 40 years. Yeah. They dwell 40 years in the wilderness. And you sort of think they're a nation, but they're not. They're a fledgling group of scattered tribes. Then Joshua brings them into the land, and God, oh, they're a nation now. No, 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 they're not. They're all scattered, no one's organized. Yeah, Joshua comes in, brings him in, conquers some of the land, and then Joshua dies off, and then they're all doing that which is right in their own eyes in the period of three, four hundred years, a period of called the judges. And they're here, they're there, they're everywhere in the land, but they're not united at all. So even though we think Israel became a nation when they come out of and uh, Passover, they're not. And so for four hundred years, they're not really a nation yet, they're forming and developing. Almost like the womb for nine months. In a woman. But then all of a sudden there is one man by the name of Saul. And so he starts unifying the kingdom. And he starts defeating some of the enemies. But they're not quite a nation yet. But he does good. He's not a spiritual godly man. But he's a good administrator, a great warrior. Saul helps. Saul dies off. And then God raises up our great king David. And David sort of unites the kingdom north south puts his kingdom in jerusalem actually from hebron then he goes into jerusalem and david becomes one of the the greatest king israel's ever had and he expands the kingdom and you say well now they're a nation not quite almost but not quite still something they needed so solomon takes over and david says the kingdom's yours i've defeated all your enemies there's peace all around you This is what you're going to build. You're going to build a temple because that's what will complete this nation. You need the temple. Why? Because this nation is empty and missing and lacking without God living among you. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. I have a very, very good marriage one of the best around 39 Well, that was in August we're working on number 40 (laughs) anyway um, uh, I forget oh yeah I have a very good marriage and people say how do you do that how do you how do you have such a good marriage well I have my means and I could give you advice and I will give you advice privately but I'll tell you the marriage would be a disaster sorry hunt without God in the center if he's not in the center, we don't stand a chance, folks. That means I have to have a relationship with God. She has to have a relationship with God. We have to have a relationship together. Without him, unless the Lord builds it, you labor in vain. You are not an individual. You are not a couple. You are not a family. You are not a nation without God in the center. Israel was not a nation without God in the center. So now Solomon, with all his wisdom and all his money, he builds the house. And that's where we... It all comes to a point in First Kings. Follow along, chapter 8. Solomon assembled all the elders of Israel heads of the tribes the leaders of the father's households and this was somewhere remember Israel came out Jewish people came out of Egypt about 1446 just to give you a date this is about 960 BCE so we're talking four or five hundred years later and he gathers everybody together and he says to bring up God's ark the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David which is Zion they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of the meeting and all the holy utensils which were in the tent. And the priests, everybody gathered together in Jerusalem, verse 5. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel, everyone gathered together, were assembled to him in the ark. And they sacrificed sheep, so many you couldn't even count them, the sheep. And he says, then the priest brought the ark of the covenant into its place, into the inner sanctuary of the house. I think it took about 7, 10 years to build this temple. And it says that they brought it to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. There was a cherubim, the mercy seat, the ark, the mercy seat, the cherubim, verse 7. And the cherubim spread the wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim made a a covering over the ark. And it's poles from there. There was nothing, uh, nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that God gave Moses were there. And the Lord made, which the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. So you see this great, great, beautiful uh, building, temple. You see that the, the uh, holy place there outside was the altar. Here was a giant veil. Inside here was the was the ark with the tablets in there, with the mercy seat on top, and a cherub here and a cherub here, and it was a holy sight. And it took almost five hundred years. it was complete and look what it says verse 10 and it happened when the priest came from the holy place the cloud filled the house of the Lord it's a great moment in the Bible folks God said putting a stamp of approval on this nation and God says I am with you I am in your midst and God manifested his presence must have been a glorious sight the cloud of God filled the house. The priests, they couldn't take it. It was too powerful to minister because of the, the cloud. The glory of the Lord filled the house and Solomon said the Lord has said that he would dwell in this house. I've surely built you a house, a place for there for you to dwell. We see God wants to dwell. He did it in the past. Thousands of years ago, did it with the nation of Israel. But I want to go back to the very beginning when they came out of Egypt. This is really uh, uh, Fill it, Fill it in. Fill it in. I think it's B. Yeah. God dwelt in the wilderness, in the wilderness tabernacle with them. What I'm trying to tell you is that God wants to live with you today. He always has. God has no needs, but He wants to live with us. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to talk to you. Sometimes Fran comes down in the morning for our coffee. We get our coffee together, and I, I feel I tell her, "Oh, I had a good time with the Lord this morning. It was close fellowship and talk He loves that." He wants to do that so when the Jewish people came out in the book of Exodus let me set the context for you every book really has a, a form and for instance like I tell you the book of Genesis you outline it in four words, uh, eight words the book of Genesis you could all know the book of Genesis very easy I'll summarize it for you in eight words you know that those eight words are creation fall flood nations abraham isaac jacob joseph that's genesis folks you got it fill it in however you want you want to teach a bible study well that's it that's right just fill in whatever you want that's genesis but then you get to exodus and exodus has a great form as well the whole book of exodus and so when you think of Exodus, you think of the beginning when the Jewish people came down into Egypt, 70 strong, now they're 2 or 3 million. They came down with Joseph in a, co- uh, Joseph in a coffin, and now there are th- uh, millions of Jewish people there. And in the first couple chapters, you see Moses is born, the deliverer, the one who's going to set our people free, book of Exodus, redemption, the Passover, Moses is born, and it talks about Pharaoh and Moses. And then after Moses is born and God reveals himself to Moses, God tells Moses, redeem, take out, deliver our people from Egypt. And so you see the 10 plagues in the next 10 or so chapters. Then after the plagues, you see God brings our Jewish people out with a mighty hand. Passover in chapter 12. And then they come out there in chapter 13, 14, and 15. They go through the Red Sea and God drowns the enemies, the wicked ones who are trying to kill God's people. And then chapter 16, 17, 18, and 19, God brings them down to Mount Sinai and God gives His constitution, His law, His instructions to the Jewish people. And basically most people think that is it for Exodus. That's half the book. The other half of the book is what I call the cure for insomnia. <laughs> I always tell people, I cure insomnia. I'm one of the, you don't have to go to a doctor. I'll cure your insomnia. Always. If you have trouble sleeping, mark it down now. First two chapters you turn to is Leviticus 13 and 14. The leprosy laws, you'll never make it through them. Late at night, I don't care how bad it is, you'll never get through those leprosy laws. If it's, if you can, it's the worst case of insomnia you ever did. Well, then you'll turn to actually you turn to Chronicles, First Chronicles, eight chapters of so and so begot so and so begot so and so begot so and so, and so that will really knock you out completely, probably for more than a day. And if you really have trouble and you're not a carpenter, if you work well with, it, then you don't do this. But for me. The second half of Exodus is a difficult part to get through. And let me tell you why. It's a beautiful part. It's a shame I'm so ungodly and spiritual. God says, let me build my house. The second half of Exodus. It's all the redemption. You've come out. It's glorious. You're going to be a nation. But God says, I want to live with you. I want to dwell with you. You have to build my booth, my sukkah, my tent. You all have tents. What about me? I want to live with you. That's the second half of Exodus. God says, build me a temple. And he describes it. That's my problem. God describing it. You know, I'm just, like I said. So, in chapters 25 through 30 in Exodus, God describes the materials to use. And I have trouble. And God describes the ark. And the laver. And the mercy seat. And the bread. And the table. And the lamps. And the curtains. And the boards. And the veils and the altar, and the court, and the oil, and the garments, and the incense, and the consecration. It's tough for five chapters. Then in chapter 30, 35, and 39, not only does he describe it, he says, now build it. And he goes through the same thing again as they bring the board, bring the ark, bring the socket. And he brings all these things together. And it's very difficult for me. But, and I look forward to chapter 39 and 40. There's the culmination. It's all complete. It's all ready. And it's still empty because He hasn't come into it. Our lives, as Steve says, I say each week, your life is empty, folks, without God in it. The only way God comes in it is for you to accept the sacrifice, the atonement Messiah brought you. When you accept it for me, 43 years ago 41 years ago I put my trust in Messiah I asked him to come into my heart my life and he came in to live in me and changed my life forever look what it says in the book of Exodus chapter 40 then the Lord spoke to Moses he says on the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting set it all up 25 through 30 this is what it is 30 through 39 build everything. 40, set it up now. Thus Moses did according to the command of the Lord. So he did. Now in the first month of the second year, this is a year later after they came out of Egypt, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. They built it. Verse 18, Moses erected the tabernacle, laid its sockets, here we go, its boards, inserted its bars, good. Uh, Erected its pillars, spread out the tent over the top of it. Oh, that tent uh, of porpoise skins, anyway. The tabernacle and put the covering on the top of it just as the Lord had commanded him. He erected the court all around the tabernacle, the altar, and he hung up the veil and the gateway of the court. Thus, Moses finished the work. I'm always happy when I read that verse 34 then the cloud covered the tenant meeting there it came god dwelling with his people must have been a glorious sight after they brought it all together god said god came among them and they saw the glory of god And that night they saw fire and a the day they saw the cloud and they knew no matter what would take place he was in our midst and he was going to care for us he was going to live with us we could hear his word God would speak to Moses. Moses would speak to the people and the leaders. They could hear the voice of God as he lived with them. And it said, then the cloud covered the tent. Moses was not able. Not even Moses could enter at that point. It was so powerful. Because the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, and this is what the holiday really speaks about, all their journeys, 40 years, whenever the cloud was taken up at the tabernacle, the sons of Israel, they would move. If God got up, they got up. If God sat down, they sat down. They followed that cloud. They wouldn't go anywhere without it. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they didn't set out when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. There was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. You see, God dwelt with them. And in that time, 40 years... No matter what took place, you tents and booze over there, tents and booze, tents and booze, tents and booze. And in the middle was God. And we had any kind of problem, whether we got bit by a scorpion or a snake, or we needed bread or water or whatever it is. All we did was this. All I did was look for my dad. That's what I always did. Wherever he was, I looked for him. That's what they did. They looked for their dad. I used to go to camp eight weeks. And I grew up, Jewish home. we went to Jewish camps for the summer. eight weeks. I teased. My mom wanted the summers off. I was pretty active. She sent me to overnight camp for eight weeks, when I was five. I was the youngest at camp for eight weeks. But during the eight weeks, two days, during the eight weeks, we have visiting day. and the parents would tell they were told to come. By 1 o'clock. Be outside the lunchroom. Big, big cafeteria where we all had lunch. And when we came out, the cafeteria was up in stilts up on a hill. And when we came out, we'd open the doors here, we'd see a sea of faces. Maybe thousands of adults, you know, because we had a couple hundred kids. And so there was thousands of adults there. all oh, just like this. Like ants. All over. And I, I don't know how, my dad was just 5'9", not a big man. But I'm telling you, I'd open those doors and I'd see thousands of people and you'd see me go, there it was. I saw the face. And he was always He was always up. That's what they did in the wilderness. They looked for their dad. They looked for God. Because he dwelt with them. God wants to live with us in the temple, in the tabernacle. In the future. The future kingdom. God will dwell with his people. That's the fulfillment of the holiday the fulfillment of the holiday. You see, someone was asking me this morning, you know, you talk about the tribulation all. You talk about the, the uh, rapture today. Listen, let me summarize it. 2,000 years ago, our Messiah died, was resurrected for our sins, and he went to heaven. He says, I'm going to come again someday, and I'm going to receive it to myself. 2,000 years later, he hasn't come yet. We believe he's coming. With all our heart, I know he's coming again. But right now, we live in this time period where he's not. One day in the future, trumpet will blast, and God will gather together the Jewish people. Let me put this here so I can move a little further. He will gather his people to the land. He will gather the body of Messiah to be with Him. I believe that's the rapture. There's coming a time. Don't, don't ask me to explain it. All I know is it says He's going to receive us up. Up. We're going up. So there will be a rapture. Then after that rapture, there'll be a short time period. I don't know how long. When confusion reigns on the earth. And then there will be one man who will rise and bring peace to the world. And everyone says, ah, he's like, he's our Messiah. He's like the Messiah. This one's the devil himself. Not the devil, but he's filled with the devil. He will sign a covenant with the Jewish people for seven years. Those seven years are what we call the tribulation period that Jeremiah spoke about, that Isaiah spoke about. It's a tribulation period where God is disciplining and purging our Jewish people specifically for them. Seven years. At the end of those seven years, Messiah returns with the people he took with him to be the cloud, and he sets up the thousand year messianic millennial kingdom, which is a picture of the holiday of Sukkot. You see, those Jewish holidays, I said, was Passover, the death of Messiah. Second was the resurrection of Messiah. Third is the giving of the law and the Holy Spirit. Going on today is the time period that he's gone. There will be a blast, which is the fulfillment of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish holidays when God gathers his people. There will be Yom Kippur, the cleansing of the nation of Israel when a whole nation will have a new relationship with God. When God will cleanse them from their sin and forgive their sin and they will all know me. Then after he cleanses them, then he will dwell with his people. That's Sukkot. In the future, God, and we see it here. Look in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 9 in that future day God says I will set about to destroy all the nations to come against Israel come against Jerusalem by the way everyone look up here in the future you thought it's bad for Israel now it's going to get worse they're still protected God's still going to watch over them God still has a covenant with them but the whole world is going to rise up against Israel and when it doesn't look too good for Israel Messiah is coming back with all of us to save the nation of Israel To set him up for the kingdom, Zechariah speaks about that day, and he says, "And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. So they shall look upon me, God speaking. So they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced. Who is this one who's pierced?" Zechariah twelve ten, great verse. God speaking. They're going to look upon me, whom they pierced, and they'll mourn for this one as one mourns for an only son. They will weep over him. With a bitter weeping, like a firstborn, Zechariah fourteen two. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem in the future to battle, and the city will be captured. The houses plundered, the women ravished, and all the half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from their city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against that nation, uh, those nations, as when He fights on a day of battle, in one of the great verses in the Old Covenant. Zechariah says in that day in the future day folks his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives you've got to go with me and stand on the Mount of Olives I will show you where it will happen Messiah is coming back and that Mount of Olives is going to split right in the middle east to west half is going north half is going south the valley will be east and west and this verse tells us in the future day it's happening which is in front of Jerusalem on the east we'll stand there the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west Large valleys so that half of the mountain will move toward the north, other half toward the south. And the Lord will be king that day over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and His name the only one. Then it will come about that any who are left of the nations that went against Jerusalem, they will have to go up every single year to worship the Lord of hosts during which holiday, folks? Sukkot. They're going to celebrate it. You see, God... Always dwelt with his people. The temple. The tabernacle. In the future. Even the great, great. Everyone loves book of Revelation. Let me just read book of Revelation here. 21. Future. Then this. John writes. I saw a new heaven. A new earth. For the first heavens. The first earth passed away. There shall no longer be any seed. This is the eternal kingdom in the future. And I saw a holy city. The new Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven. Made ready as a bride. Adorned for her husband. I believe the husband Yeshua and I'm the bride. All right. If you're a believer, you're the bride too. We're going to be with him. And it says, where was I? Yes, good. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle, the the sukkah, the dwelling place of God is with men and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people and God himself will be among them. You see, God wants to dwell all the time. Past, future, and Today. Where is He today? I went to Jerusalem. I didn't see God. You've been to Jerusalem. You didn't see God. But He says He wants to dwell with you today as well. John 14, Yeshua says, I'm going to ask the Father. He will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He will be with you forever. That is the Spirit of God whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he one day will be in you. Not only did God dwell with him in the past and in the future, but God says, I want to live in you. That's God's desire. He wants to live in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is from God, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Let me put it this way. On January 15, 1972, Back in Philadelphia, that night, I told God this. God, I believe I've sinned against you. I believe you sent the Messiah. As predicted in the Bible. Predicted in our prophets. Micah says he'd be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah says he'd be despised and rejected. Daniel says he'll come before the destruction of the Jewish temple. You'll be able to do that someday. We're going to teach you all how to do that. Psalm, King David says he'll be crucified. All these verses speak about the Messiah coming. And I said, I believe that Yeshua is the Jewish Messiah. Also the Gentiles, if they want Him, they can believe too. And I asked them to come into my life to be my atonement. On January fifteenth, 1972, an amazing thing happened. I don't say this in a wrong spirit. The God of the universe sent the Holy Spirit of God to live in Larry Feldman and start changing my life. Now listen, God, he's not finished. There's a big work he still has to do in me. But he does live in me. I know that. I hear from him every morning. I read his word. I talk to him every morning. He lives with, I have a fellowship with him. I have a relationship with the God of the universe because he wants it. One, God dwells. Quick. I wanted to spend most time on that, but I want you to fill it in too. Number two, fill it in. God, I said, provides and cares for his people. God provides for you. He doesn't want to just live with you. Sometimes I'll focus more on his provision. Today, I want to focus more on his dwelling. But let me fill it in for you quickly. God provides. Let's just read where the holiday is spoken about. In Leviticus 23, we read, God speaking to Moses. Speak to the Jewish people, the sons of Israel, Moses. Speak on the 15th day of the seventh month. That's when the holiday begins. Five days after Yom Kippur. uh, Yom Kippur was last Saturday. That was the 10th. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday is the first day of the holiday of this holiday of Sukkot. Then it lasts the next, it says here. Feast of booths for seven days. On the eighth day, the great day, you have a special holiday. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall gather in all the crops. You shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. And a rest on the first day, and a rest see on the eighth day. That's where you get the eighth day, the great day. Verse forty. Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Traditionally Jewish people do that last Sunday, the day after Yom Kippur, that's when they usually build it. We did it this morning. You'll go outside, you'll see it. And God says you shall celebrate this feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Some people have it standing. Some people have one meal during the week. Some people have a dinner every night. Some people live in it for the week. But it's supposed to symbolize when God took care of them. That's what it says. And it says, verse 42, You shall live in these booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths. And by the way, I took care of them and watched over them. I had them live in booths in there. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. God dwelt with them. That's what it's all about. To remind you, when someone says this holiday, a couple things you think of. One, He dwells with us. Two, He provides for us. What's it a picture of? uh, 2,000, 3,500 years ago in the wilderness. Little tents, booths, and God dwelling with them. What's it a picture of? The future, when God will again dwell with His people. That's what this holiday is all about. It's the culmination, the building up. It's the kingdom. But it tells us when God lives with you, He does more. Here it is, quickly. He fed His people in the wilderness. He fed His people. And I'm not going to do all the verses, uh, let me just do the first one. He gave him drink. Behold, I'll stand before you, he said to Moses at Mount Horeb, and you shall hit the rock, strike the rock, and the water will gush out from it, and the people will drink. Moses did so in the sight of the. And God gave them water. That's amazing. Providing for all those millions of people water. Then you know what the Jewish people said? Very typical Jewish. Sure, Moses, you gave us water, but I'd like some bread. Where's bread? I need some bread. I remember when I first got married, my Orthodox Jewish father came to visit us and Fran was pretty nervous. And so she made a nice dinner for my dad. Beautiful dinner, you know, his favorite brisket and all kinds of, potatoes or kasha, whatever it is. Oh, no vegetables, because dad, they don't like that. They like starch. Potatoes and kasha and all, all kinds. And he made a real, real nice meal. And we sit down there and the food, now my dad was a nice guy, but I'm gonna say something fun. So he sits down, we eat the food we're about to eat. And my father looks at the table. Beautiful meal. He says, Franny, something's missing. (laughs) What's missing? She did it all. He looks, he goes, no bread. Where's the bread? Remember the old woman? Where's the beef? No, he needed bread. Give me that bread. Look what's in front of you. Bread, he needed bread. Not butter because he was Orthodox, but he needed the bread. Jewish people, same thing. They get it from Moses' time. Good, I got some more. Where's the bread? God's all right, I'll send you bread. So he sends the man every day. Every day, God sent him out. For one day, he said, Don't save it up. Next day, foul, worms, no good. Except on Saturday morning, there was no bread because he gave them twice as much on Friday. God provided for them. God's pretty cool. He's always adventurous. He's always fun with God. And they said, Sure, God, give us water. Good. Give us bread. Yeah. I need some meat. Where's the beef? And he said, All right. You wake up tomorrow, you'll see the beef all around, and there were the quail flying all around, and they got the quail. God provides for their food. God's always provided. He provided water. He provided bread. He provided meat. He provides the necessities of life, folks. Don't worry, the Messiah said to the people. You're worried about so much. God takes care of the birds. God takes care of the grass of the field. You can't grow one inch. Yeah, hairs of your head are all numbered. For me, it's easy. One, two, three, that's enough. But anyway... God takes care of all. He says, Don't worry about what you eat or drink because God cares for you. He'll provide your water, your food, your clothing. Stop worrying. What do you want me to focus on? And God says to all of us, Me. We look and worry about so many things. There's only one that's really important. It's focus on Him. You focus on Him, and I'll send you the water. I'll send you the bread I'll send you the uh, cake I'll send you the meat listen carefully I will send you the shoes I will send you the money for the bills for the dentist I'll bring you peace and comfort when you're sick I will either heal you or give you comfort God cares more for you than any of us. God cares. That's what the picture is, folks. He will feed them in the wilderness. Be, just fill it in. He taught them. God gives them wisdom. He humbled you. Verse chapter 8, 3. He humbled you. He let you be hungry. You know, that's amazing. I'm going to stop just for a minute. God will sometimes let you be hungry. That's what it says. I don't like it. God will sometimes let you be sick. God is in control. We need to focus on Him no matter what He sends our way. No matter what spot we see on the x-ray. No matter what happens to our loved ones, our children, our mates. God will let it happen, it says, for His world, for His correction, for His loving kindness. We can trust Him, folks. I'm not making light of our problems. I'm the first one to start crying and complaining just like all of you. But I'm reminding myself here, God let you be hungry. He fed you the bread which you didn't know about, nor your father's. That He might make you understand that you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's why you have to be reading the Word of God every day to be encouraged, to be built up, to get wisdom and insight. God speaks to you. Listen, I am a firm believer. God speaks to us all in two ways. One, through the Word of God. And two, through what I call the subjective, mystical, unique way that nobody understands now that will never be contrary to the word of god but listen carefully and i know god speaks to me all the time and he reveals wonderful things to me and when he speaks you know it but he won't speak to you without you reading the word of god god wants to give you wisdom and insight into life you're knowing knowing your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you. teaches us as a man disciplines his child. Deuteronomy 8, 8. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Follow him. Walk in his ways. Fear him because he will teach you. Three, God provides for his people's needs. I, I just like to read this because it's the time of Sukkot. Deuteronomy 29.5. God says, I led you 40 years in the wilderness. I love this verse. Your clothes did not wear out on you. That's impossible. You go to Israel your clothes are going to wear out. They're going to get dusty and dirty and torn and shredded and it's it's tough. Your shoes are going to get wore holes on it. Look at this. Your clothes you're not going to wear out 40 years. Your sandals, they didn't wear out. God provides for your needs. God cared for his people in the wilderness. Look what Nehemiah says. In your great compassion, Lord, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. It all goes back to the wilderness, folks. Everything. Look up here for a minute. It all goes back to the wilderness and to the future when he'll dwell with them again. And he says, he didn't forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not lead them by day to guide them on their way. The pillar of fire by night for the light guided their way, where they were supposed to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, your manna you didn't withhold from them. You gave them order for their drink. Look at Nehemiah 21, I like it. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness. Get this now. They were not in want, their clothes didn't wear out, and their feet didn't swell. I mean, God takes care of the details, doesn't he? Clothes, shoes, and my feet didn't swell. I went to Israel for three months, uh, April, May, and June. And let me tell you, that salt, my feet were like elephant's feet at times. Their feet didn't swell 40 years in the wilderness. God's providing for them all the time. Fill it in. God provides and cares for all of us today. Timothy says, for the love of money, that's what we all want, is the root of all sorts of evil. Don't want money, folks. Don't want money. It's a temptation. You got to say this that God taught me a long time ago. Don't want money. Don't want things. Seek me, and I will give you. My picture in my life this is it, folks. The world demands. I say, Lord, here, give. And I'll take care of that. And the Lord gives me just enough. Sometimes you could give me a little extra. I wouldn't mind. He always gives me just what I need, He always provides. And it says, Don't, the love of money, it's a root of all sorts of evil, it turns you away from God, pierces you. Flee from these things. I like what it says. You man, you woman of God, flee from the temptations of the world, but pursue righteousness. Godliness, Faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. Matthew 6, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which you're alive today and tomorrow they're thrown into the furnace, will he not care for you, you people of little faith? Don't worry, don't say, what am I going to eat? What are we going to drink? Now, some of you are saying, if he doesn't stop soon, I don't know what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to drink. But will he not much uh, where was I? Yes. Where was I? Don't worry. Uh, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. But seek first God, his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Peter puts it, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, in the mighty hand of God. He will lift you up in his time, casting all your cares upon you because he cares for you. I don't have time to tell you stories, but in the ministry, I've seen this. I'm telling you. I'm not exaggerating. I know we all have needs. I've seen friends of mine who couldn't afford anything, and, and I saw people give them a home. A home. I've seen God give people cars. He's given me many cars. I see that. I see God give people trips to Israel. It's you know we 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 think trips are so expensive I can't get this. If God wants you there, it's no problem. I see people God giving trips vacations to people to Hawaii. My father used to tease me. He said, "How did you meet a plumber who takes care of all your needs? A plumber, folks. I'm praying for a mechanic. But anyway, who will take care of all my car needs? God provides. He always does." I've seen people receive from God's hand hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands. I've seen God provide for families 40, 50,000, 10,000. I'm doing this on purpose, folks. Houses, trips, cars, hundreds of thousands, 50,000, 10,000. And I see God for a friend and me and my girls once when we had no money, provide $10 dessert at the Cheesecake Factory. Now, why would you say $10? Of course, that's easy. Nah. It's no harder for God to provide 100000 as it is $10. It's all the same to Him. Because God meets our needs all the time. He dwells with us. Fill it in. Sukkot is the holiday where God desires to dwell with His people, provide for His people, care for His people. Fill this in right now. Because He is with us, we gain experience, comfort, and assurance. God is with us. There's comfort. You know how many times I've said already that I look for one face. My dad. There's another great picture. I, elementary school. We used to get out of school about 3 o'clock every day. And occasionally about 2.45, 2.45 in your classes when you're in 4th or 5th or 6th grade, 2.45, the teacher, they don't have these anymore. We used to have blackboards and write with chalk on the blackboards. And there would be erasers and you'd erase the blackboards with the chalk. And then the teacher at 2.45 would look around the room and pick one person. Can you take these erasers outside and and get all the chalk out of them. And you wanted anything to get out of class. Oh, pick me, pick me, please. And Casey, she would pick me, especially on a certain day. And I'd go outside with my erasers. And there was the school and a big, big schoolyard here. And at the top of the schoolyard, I would look for a white Chevrolet. And I'd see that car. And in the car was my dad with two things. A pair of jeans, which we weren't allowed to wear at school, and a football. I looked for him. Comfort. Your father is there all the time. He should provide comfort. Make use of it. Number two, because God cares, we can trust him. Great verse in the Bible. Fill it in. Listen. God, Psalmist says, You've taken account of my wine. You know me, God. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Don't you see every tear, God? He does. Because He cares, we can trust Him. Listen carefully. Gotta read it. Be patient. It's cool. Moses and the people were in the desert. But what was he going to do with these people? They had to be fed. And Edward G. was angry. Oh, no, no, okay. And feeding 2 to 3 million required a lot of food. According to the quartermaster general in the army, it is reported that Moses would have had to have 1,500 tons of food every day. Do you know that to bring that much food each day you'd need two freight trains each at least a mile long would be required. But their Heavenly Father provided them manna every day. Besides, you must remember, they were out in the desert. So they would also have to have firewood to keep them warm at night. This would take 4,000 tons of wood and a few more freight trains each a mile long for one night. Just think of it. They were 40 years in this transit. Oh, yes. They would have had to have water. If they had only enough to wash and drink, wash their hands and face and drink, it would take 11 million gallons every day. And a freight train with tank cars 1,800 miles long to bring the water. And then another thing. They had to get across the Red Sea at night. Now, if they went along a narrow path, double filed, the line would be 800 miles long and would require 35 days and nights to get through. So there had to be a good space in the Red Sea, about three miles wide, so they could walk 5,000 abreast to get over in one night. But then there's one more problem. Each time they camped at night, Every, at the end of each day, they would need a campground two-thirds the size of the state of Rhode Island was required. Or a total of 750 square miles long. Think about this. This much space just for camping. Do you think Moses figured all this out before he left Egypt? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You see, Moses believed in God that God would take care of all these things for him. Now, do you think God has any problems providing for and taking care of your needs? We can trust Him. And finally, because He provides, we should always serve Him. The God who dwells in you will provide and take care of you. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the Jewish holiday of Sukkot. We look forward to the day of its fulfillment when we will dwell with our Messiah in Jerusalem for a thousand years and enjoy your presence. My prayer today is that we might trust you. We claim to be believers that we would say, I will serve you, love you, and trust you'll meet my needs. And then there's some here today, you've heard it before, But today might be the day you want Messiah living in you. You want that changed life that I'm speaking about. You want that relationship with God. You must quietly, if you say, what do I do? Here it is. You could do it here. You could do it when you go home. You could do it alone at night. Say, God, I believe I'm separated from you. I believe I've sinned against you. And I believe you sent the Messiah to die in my place, to be my atonement. I now accept Him. I receive Him into my heart and into my life. If you do that, the Bible says, He will come in and live in you and provide and take care and feed you. We thank you for these things. We ask it all in Yeshua's name. Amen.